0: Chapter Two of A Quiet Flame, Mother Mary Ann of Molokai by Eva K. Betts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Two: A Plea Is Granted. Father Leonor could still not believe it. He had finished his Thanksgiving after Mass, and now he knelt quietly in the chapel, trying to assure himself that the good news was really coming. For wearying weeks, he had tried to get nuns to work with the lepers in the Hawaiian Islands. He had written to convents, and less than half had even answered his plea. He had called at mother-houses from coast to coast without success. We have too few sisters for all the work awaiting us here, he had been told, or we could not let our sisters go to sure death in that dreadful place. In vain he had explained that the conditions were quite different now from those Father Damien had faced on his arrival. In vain he had pointed out that the need for nursing and teaching sisters was heartbreakingly great in the islands i am sure it is father each superior had agreed but there is need here too and here the sisters under my care will be safe when almost at the end of his hope he had gone to the vine-covered little convent built of stone he had no idea it might be the end of his search when almost at the end of hope he had gone to the vine-covered little convent built of stone he had no idea it might be the end of his search The name Sisters of the Third Order of St. Francis meant nothing special to him when he directed his steps towards the mother-house in Syracuse, New York. He had visited so many cities, so many mother-houses. He could not stay away much longer from his duties in the islands. If Mother Mary Ann said no, he must give up. Now as he knelt in the chapel, his mind went back to their meeting the previous day. He tried to visualize the nun. He could not remember whether she was tall or short— all he could remember was her eyes. Missed it with pity when he spoke of the need and tragedy of the lepers. They had hardened and flashed when he told of indignities and injustices shown the sufferers. Her eyes had sparked with appreciation when he spoke of schools for the boys and girls. They had spilled over with laughter when he told her of amusing incidents on the islands. How big was she? What did she look like? No detail of her physical appearance stayed with him, but her soul was great. Of that he was sure and her mind was quick to grasp the fact that the sick of the islands were in desperate need of the help and care only sisters could give. "'I will present your plea to the council, father,' she had said at the close of their visit. "'The decision is not mine alone, you know.' Father Leonore dragged his wandering thoughts back to the altar. With all his heart he prayed that the answer would be yes. He was quite sure it would be so if Mother Marianne's voice was heard." the next day all of the sisters and the novices were gathered to hear father leonore tell of conditions in the islands and of the work waiting to be done there mother marianne has given me great hope that here in syracuse my search will be ended he looked about the chapel seeming to seek out each separate face and to plead with the mind and heart behind it the next day sister bonaventure went through the convent asking for the names of those who were ready to volunteer for the work in the leper colony Most of the nuns and nearly all of the novices wanted to go. We can spare only six, said Mother Mary Ann. That will be seven in all, because I will lead the band. Mother's background for the work was perfect. She had taught school for some time after her profession, an asset to one planning educational work on the islands. She had been in charge of St. Joseph's Hospital in Syracuse. As mother provincial of her community, she had learned to deal with people and with problems. By her varied experience she seemed to have been ordained to take on the new task. Over and above these assets there was a quality which marked her as a leader. Under her tender kindness there was iron. Despite her physical frailty she had drive. Whatever came to her hand to do she did as perfectly as possible, and she expected those who worked with her to do the same. They would not do otherwise, for almost everyone who came within her orbit was drawn to her with an admiring affection which made them very eager to win her approval it was late spring when father leonore got her promise of help his task done he went back to the islands where he was provincial of the fathers of the sacred hearts in syracuse a summer was spent in preparation for the departure those who were going with the exception of mother mary Anne, did not expect to return each had duties where she was duties which must be apportioned out to others who would absorb the extra load When, in 1872, Father Damien went to live on Molokai, the leper colony was a dreadful place. There was no resident to care for the poor sufferers, either physically or spiritually, and condition of body and soul were unspeakable. The good Belgian priest worked alone for years. Bit by bit he made changes, but the progress seemed to him to be dishearteningly slow. "'There is so little time,' was his constant cry, "'so much to do in so little time.'" help came other priests and two laymen joined him in his heroic work but he longed for sisters both for the hospital and to take care of the babies and young girls it was discovered that if the children of leprous parents were taken from them early enough the little ones would grow up free of the disease but there must be sisters to tend them everyone agreed to that the hawaiian king and queen mr gibson chairman of the board of health bishop margaret of the islands it was the latter who sent father Leonor on his search and he as well as all the others was delighted when the priest returned with word that the search had been successful arrangements were made for accommodations for the sisters when they should come then father leonore returned to his regular duties time seems to be acting strangely mother one of the sisters said to mother mary Anne as the summer of eighteen eighty three drew to its close how do you mean sister it's rushing I don't see how I am ever going to finish up all the things I must do before I leave. Mother Mary Ann nodded. Yet, at the same time, Sister Lodovica continued, it seems so long, so long before we get started toward our work. Mother's eyes twinkled. I know, sister, I feel the same, and it's disconcerting, isn't it? But taking use each day as it comes, and then you'll be ready when departure day comes. You'll come back, won't you, mother? asked another nun, who had come down the hall. "'You won't just go off and leave us. We couldn't get along without you.' "'Nonsense. Of course you can get along without me. Very well, too. However, I have told you many times that I'll come back.' From spring to fall had looked like plenty of time, but when October 23rd arrived, there was scurrying. Last-minute messages had to be given before the little band climbed on the train in Syracuse Station. Final farewells were to be said, and all over again promises were extracted from Mother Mary Anne, assurances that this was not a final leave-taking. The nuns disposed themselves on the sticky, plush seats, and as the engine belched cinder and sparks, they waved to the little group on the platform. Human, reasonable fear, combined with exultation in their hearts. Each prayed that in the time of trial toward which she was going, she would not be found wanting. Mother Mary Ann looked about her, a good commander, surveying her troops. All the sisters who should be here were here. Their baggage had been taken care of. She had delegated duties in Syracuse, apportioning them skillfully, so that no one would have an impossibly heavy load to carry. Her own, mercy, her own bag with purse and paper had been left behind. Other people in a similar predicament might have been distressingly embarrassed at what could have been considered carelessness. Not mother, mother, she never considered herself anything but very poorly human, she reported to her sisters. I will get off at Buffalo, she said, and take a fast train to Syracuse, then I'll take a fast train to Chicago and meet you at the station there. Matters were explained to the conductor. Slim assets were pulled to take care of the unexpected train trip, and before secret tears were fairly dry in Syracuse, the bell rang at the convent. See? See? chuckled Mother Mary Ann to the astounded portress. I told you I'd be back, so here I am. Explaining as she went, she hurried to her room, got her bag, and, before the confused sisters really grasped what was going on, was back at the railroad station. A fast train got her to Chicago almost as soon as the rest of the band. It was late night when the tired little party reached San Francisco— They were grateful that two convents were ready to receive them and to offer them homes during the wait before sailing on the little ship, Mariposa, heading for the unknown. Two thousand miles of Pacific lay before them. And then what? Who knew? The sun had begun its downward trip when the little ship slid out the golden gate late on a Thursday afternoon, Gulls' wheels screaming overhead, their whitish breasts taking fire from the reflection of sun-painted water. November 2nd. Winter had probably already begun to lay hands on the landscape of Syracuse, but here all was balmy and serene. Balmy, perhaps, but not serene. They were barely out of the harbor when the Pacific began rolling and tossing the mariposa about, until it seemed to the sisters that it must be a helpless toy of the mighty ocean. They all became dreadfully seasick. As suddenly as the malady had descended on them, it left them. By the third day they had all become sailors, all except poor mother Mary Ann, who remained quite ill and unable to go out to enjoy the immensity of sky and ocean. It was confusing, especially to the younger sisters. They relied so on mother's determination and willpower to overcome all obstacles, but seasickness she could not defeat. Day after day passed. The mariposa seemed to be alone in the world, to have the wide ocean all to herself, Then, as they neared the islands on the Wednesday after they had left San Francisco, a yacht rushed toward them and hove to. Who is it? What's going on? What do they want? The nuns on deck were curious and excited. They are flying the Royal Hawaiian Colors, a sailor who stood near them explained. Perhaps one of the royal family is taking a cruise, but I don't know what they want of us. They didn't seem to be in any trouble, judging from the speed they made coming alongside. Even as he was speaking, one of the officers on the yacht had raised a megaphone to his lips and hailed the ship. Greetings and identifications were exchanged. Then came a question. Do you have the sisters aboard? We do, was the answer. That seemed to finish the yacht's business. It swung smartly about and headed back toward Honolulu, wide white wings of foam forming on either side of its prow. The mariposa plodded along in the yacht's wake the sisters reported excitedly to each other that Father Leonore was on the yacht. On November 8th the Mariposa entered Honolulu Harbor. It drew alongside the wharf and let down the gangplank. At once a clangor of bells broke out, great bells and tiny ones, deep-toned and shrill ones. All the bells of Honolulu rang a welcome to the sisters, who had come to help. Masses of people milled in the streets and around the four royal carriages sent to carry the sisters. "'Queen Capiolani is not well,' said a handsome woman, who had stepped out of the crowd to greet Mother Mary Anne. "'She could not come in person to welcome you, so she sent me, her first lady-in-waiting, to convey her welcome.' The sisters were stunned. Their whole religious life was founded on poverty and simplicity. A greeting such as might be given a reigning monarch was a trifle overwhelming. But Mother Mary Anne, with the simplicity of true greatness, accepted the greeting And then climbed into the carriage assigned to her her sisters following in the others with the bells still pealing wildly overhead and tumultuous crowds cheering along the way the carriage went up one street and down the other in a winding triumphal tour they reached the cathedral the bishop in his grandest robes was on the steps to bless and welcome them priests brothers servers were crowded around it was hard for the sisters to adjust A few devoted nuns had left their quiet convent in New York State to travel half around the world to help some sufferers, but it was an opportunity to be of service, and it was they who should be grateful, they felt. They were moved and deeply appreciative of the reception, and the beautiful thanksgiving service arranged at the cathedral, but they were eager to get to work. End of chapter 2